Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the final the mammoth and horse, the man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of a holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, the man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for hire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the lord of the Good whatever, good whomever, good however I may find you. This is Alan Averill. This is Educators Anonymous, episode 83. 83, yes indeed. 83, my friends. Do you guys know that game Snakes and Ladders? You remember that? Or is maybe that something that only exists in my childhood? Or at least people of the same age or the same vintage. Snakes and Ladders was a game where um, you rolled a dice and... If you landed on a ladder, you could go up and a snake, you went down. Hmm. Something similar is kind of happening right now across various Western states, as you may or may not know, or I suppose if you live within some of them that are going back towards restrictions, going back towards rules. I hate to be the guy who said, I told you so, but I told you so, as we are... Um, How can we say? Well, in Ireland, we are now looking at, again, a midnight curfew, discussions about, once again, changing people's socialising habits. The narrative is very um, grim. We're being told there's a deadly fourth wave. There's this, there's that. The usual words like overwhelming, etc. Despite the simple fact that in two years, almost two years you probably could have built a hospital. And of course, what's been doing arounds amongst those of us who, well, sort of care or can be bothered with this kind of thing are, of course, articles um, predicting the collapse of the health service in Ireland really every year. I'm looking at one now. This is the winter. Our health system will collapse. 
date, October 23rd, 2017. And you can find an article like this pretty much throughout all of the newspapers or online media. In fact, you can go back to, I mean, this will be a reference some of you won't get, but when Mary Harney tried to fix the health service 25, 30 years ago, I remember every winter hearing similar things on the radio when I was a kid. It's been a perennial thing. The Irish health service system is about to collapse only we were never locked down before and it was never used as an arbitrary tool of subjugation against us, in my opinion, i.e. things were always on the brink of collapse, apparently. However, anyway, so yes, is there ever going to be an end in sight to this lockdown Um, I mean, I look, I know I've discussed that with you before. People who argue with me and go, we're not in lockdown anymore. To me, at least, since saying that we aren't is kind of letting the powers that be off the hook. And seeing as there is no media to do that anymore, I think mentally and morally, maybe we should not do that. Because while restrictions are still in place, it is a form of lockdown. A form, nonetheless, maybe not the full gamut of restrictions, but restrictions nonetheless. And yes, here we are. Whatever we have been doing for the past year, we have a great um, percentage of vaccine take-up. Whatever we've been doing, whatever we've been told to do, whatever rules we've been told to follow, um, the blame is being placed squarely on our um, human inalienable right to try and be human with each other and have a little bit of sociability. And within three or four weeks of opening the country back up um, to having some form of They call it Give Us Back the Night, which is a rather strange name for an organization. The organization called Witch, who are trying to reopen nightlife society. Sounds a bit like a sort of uh, 90s goth band. Maybe they toured with Cradle of Filth in 95 or something like this. However, it's being closed again. That door is being firmly shut. And most of the rhetoric coming from our politicians is that there is going to be a non-negotiable third jab, whatever you want to call it. Um, And... Despite the fact that our, as I said, our vaccination take up is very strong and I think people for the most part have been um, incredibly acquiescent with the government's wishes. Here we are um, facing not quite the same situation we did last August, September, October, etc. But a variation of a theme, the things that were promised to the people um, as uh, I suppose the terms through which their freedoms and liberties would come back have, well, obviously not happened. And for an ardent cynic like me, a sceptic, a pessimist, this is pretty much entirely what I predicted. So, in episode 83, are we back to where we were in episode 3 or 13 or 23? I mean, look, I get it. For the last couple of weeks, I've been sort of avoiding talking about this stuff. I did one podcast not so long ago, which was kind of looking back at things over the last 20 months and seeing what I maybe got right and what I maybe got wrong, what I overestimated, what we can put down to me being um, an ill-informed singer of a heavy metal band, which, of course, is also true. Like I said, I've never pretended to be anything else. And the podcast is just merely my stream of consciousness therein. But are we kind of, as I said, on the board of snakes and ladders, going up, going down, going back, going forward, two steps forward, three steps back, or is it one step forward, two steps back, whatever you want to call it, it does certainly feel a bit like that, that the people 
quietly and for the most part obediently, it must be said, and let us say maybe too obediently, followed the instructions because they simply wanted to be left alone and get back on with their lives. But that, as I predicted, doesn't seem to be possible, as I've said maybe 20 times in the podcast. Um, Someone can show me, if someone can show me, in the history of any nation-city-state, I mean, let's go back a thousand, two thousand years in the history of any nation-city-state, from ancient Thebes to the city-state of Naples. Show me a moment throughout history. Let's go back to the Weimar Republic, whatever you want. Um, Let's go back to just before the Spanish Civil War. I don't know. Show me a moment where the people give away or gave away every single, not every single, but the greatest portion of their civil liberties and freedoms and got them back in one piece. And I would like to know that example because that is simply not how history works. So however you may be irritated or annoyed at my point of view, history is on my side of the argument. Power does not give back the power that it takes. And that is the natural state of this world and has been so. As J.P. Mencken said, the average man does not want freedom. He wants to be kept safe. And today, um, with the edicts of our government, we see the same thing being handed down the line. Um, So like I said, I promised to do something of a part two uh, to the episode looking back over the past 20 months. Um, Now 21 of living uh, with the pandemic, with restrictions, with lockdowns and examining maybe some of the things I got right, as I said, some I got wrong over underestimation and try and take a look at them. Um, So, yeah, this is going to be a spicy meatball. Maybe the last few episodes, the last five or 10 or 15 have been leaning more into music. And I know that some people have been maybe a little bit somehow disappointed that I haven't been unveiling some new political rhetoric or been a little bit less angry. But maybe what happened is that Simply, I became weary of ringing the bell, a little bit weary of pointing out the emperor's no clothes or pointing out that the emperor had no clothes and people going, ah, stop, will you? It's not that bad. He's got some clothes on. I'm telling you now, he hasn't got any clothes on. And I got quite weary of that. So we had a lot of music chat. We had a lot of other chat like this. And it was well needed, a little bit of respite from the rhetoric. But this episode is going to be a little bit more about the implications of the moment. It's going to be me um, adopting a devil's advocate position. Now, I'm going to go through some things, through some thoughts that have been running through my grey matter. Of course, they are indulged by how much time I have to mull over them. I appreciate if you've got a hectic schedule, a life, a nine to five, you've got kids to raise, you've got this, that and the other. Some of my concerns will not be your concerns. And this is fair enough. And also don't take me, as I said, entirely that deadly serious. These are thoughts, their musings, their ideas of what might happen, their potentialities, their a little lean into um, the Black Mirror episode we seem to be living through in a rather boring and mundane way from week to week. Um, so, like I said, I'm going to adopt a few devil's advocate positions and throw them out there. It's going to be a spicy meatball. So let's get into it. The show is sponsored by www.metalblade.com. If you're in North America, use the promo code AAPODCAST for um, 10% off. And www.eisenwald, well, it's Eisenwald Records, so E-I-S-E-N-T-O-N dot D-E and dot com. And again, use the promo code AAPODCAST 
um, for 10% off over there. Um, the links will be below in the description um, if you're on YouTube. For example, just go over to my YouTube page. Just search Alan Averill. You'll find me. There's a new Primordial Instagram page, Primordial underscore official, um, etc., etc. I'm at Nemthianga underscore Primordial. So if you want more of my mundane commentary, dumb pictures, and this and that and the other, a few old cult with a capital K photos and an umlau most probably... Thank you, Lemmy. Um, over on the Primordial Official Instagram page, head over there and have a look. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's hack into this. Let's use our rusty knives to hack into this fetid testicle, this uh, fetid meatball that we are now being asked to uh, swallow. Um, so only yesterday, Austria announced that it was taking, in my opinion, some rather drastic and draconian measures um, and those measures being locking down the unvaccinated. Um, they were only allowed out for essential purposes, such as the doctor, such as um, whatever else. Um, we hear stories about Lithuania, about Germany, moving backwards towards restrictions. Um, the kind of sabre-rattling of draconian measures has begun as we enter what was once called flu season. Uh, once, since as long as we have known, and also... Please do remember that they attempted to find a vaccination for the common flu for, I don't know, it was 50 or 60 years, right, and did not do so. But, miraculously, it seems to be um, somewhat eradicated. Anyway, despite the course that we are taking. So, as I said, in Ireland, um, those noises that were coming from um, the unelected health official board uh, took greater form today and we were and it was announced that we were going to be moving back towards restrictions and once again the hospitality sector or nightlife or well anything that young people might be doing or interested in doing was the first to get kiboshed um and again the trope of overwhelmed health services being the reason and like i said off the top perhaps trying to fix that health service might have been a better thing to do than taking people's civil liberties from them every time. Surely, um, you've all seen by now that incredible footage of China building hospitals in a month or two months. Could we not have, could we not have employed um, some out-of-work builders to build us a new hospital and guerrilla train maybe some health staff to work as a, I don't know, skeleton staff? If there were too many cases among the staff, I don't know. Just, you know, off the top of my head... And you do have to ask, um, and this is the cynic in me speaking, um, which is quite simple, I think, really, is that if you were to fix the problem, then maybe you couldn't use it as an excuse in order to keep restrictions and laws. That's kind of how my mind works. You don't see my point. That's all right. But if you were to fix the problem and go, well, we've built this brand new hospital um, and we've, um, you know, guerrilla trained all these new staff, etc., etc., in order to deal with this great emergency. And so, therefore, there should be no more need to follow these um, draconian seasonal restrictions. Well, then, you would say, well, that seems like quite the noble and correct thing to do. Good for you. Well managed. Mr. Government. But as we see, this is not what happens. So you can see my point, right? And if we are to move backwards, then what have we been doing for a year? What was the purpose of the vaccination? If we learn now it seems to work with limiting the extent of the effects, 
but not, it would seem, transmission. Okay, this doesn't seem to be what we were sold. Um, but look, yeah, I get it. It's boring by now. It's tiresome, believe me. I'm even sort of fatigued thinking about the whole thing. Um, it really, it really says to me now that um, people are worn out. But it certainly feels like now, for those unwilling to believe it, I mean, I have my opinions that I've been laying out for over 80 podcasts, but under the ideal that scepticism is the only rational perspective on all things. And yet for that, you are called a heretic. But how do we ever as a society get past this point? Move on, put this in the rear view mirror. Um, maybe life as it is now in my country, that we are now effectively a papers please society, that you need to show your papers to get into all manner of social spaces, despite what looks like a huge, as I said, vaccine take up and with debts having dropped off the daily fear figures to not only be to only be about cases, um, which is what we hear only about. Really, we only really hear about cases anymore. What part of this? Um, and I hate to feel like I'm going backwards in time is benign. And what part is malign. What part is simple, old-fashioned social conditioning and what part is, well, I would call them grifting politicians on the election cycle, stumbling over their own incompetence? Um, how do we get the genie back in the bottle and strip, for example, unelected boards of health officials with, in my opinion, a vested financial interest in lockdown and restrictions continuing, who, in my opinion, are, it would seem, doing the bidding of Big Pharma? One only has to look at these recent stories saying that, um, you know, the names of Big Pharma are making $1,000 a second from supplying these um, drugs to the West. Um, and how do we manage to strip these powers of the, of the, well, divest them of the powers they have accrued? How did we get to this place? So this is what this podcast is going to be. It's going to be a bit of doom and gloom. It's going to be a bit of um, holding the position of devil's advocate. Um, like I said, just branching out and sort of trying to mull over a few ideas. Now, that I, hope, that I hope that they don't make me sound mad. But, you know, who could blame me for having gone a little mad? Um, is this just all prep? Prepping for a new society where we are encouraged to live inside online, in the metaverse, to work, to live and play all within four walls, um, the four walls you live in right now. Or am I being too melodramatic? Oh, surely, Alan, that's not the plan. Well, let's take a look at some of those ideas. I read what was actually a pretty, a pretty amazing quote the other day, and it basically said, or something, let me try and paraphrase it. Is it as simple to say that the cost of overreacting to a hypothetical threat is less harmful than underreacting to an unknown threat. Now, let's just think about that for a moment, and I'll say it one more time. Is it as simple as saying that overreacting to a hypothetical threat is less harmful than underreacting to an unknown threat? I guess that could perhaps sum up many of what many of the things that have been done by government and state over the last 21 months. Um, I mean, this is clearly the case to me. So how much now is just a sort of out-of-control bureaucracy, a train that's just gathered too much steam to be able to have the brakes pulled? And so what do I mean by that? Well, let's play the devil's advocate for a moment. If you are um, within the bush or deep in the forest and you hear a rustling and something moving towards you, do you stand and wait for it to reveal itself, knowing it could be, could it be, a predator of some kind, or do you run? 
And this reaction is something deeply is something deep within us. It's deep within our genetics. It's why we fear certain sounds. It's why we fear certain animals, etc. Because they are essentially predators. And if you apply the same sort of, um, I th- is it atavistic? I suppose animalistic logic or innate logic some kind of logic on some level and to play devil's advocate is our um, hysterical overreaction to this something almost natural because an underreaction is something that goes against our innate genetics now think about that for a moment if you will because those who turn and run are going to live another day and now of course this is not to say that that reaction is something that can be manipulated by other people or manipulated by the people who are actually behind those rustling noises in the first place or behind um, whatever you feel is coming towards you. So, you know, it takes on a multifaceted um, thought experiment on those terms. And it is a very interesting way of looking at it because no um, no politician, no, um, no one in a, you know, the idea that there is some sort of top-down um, agenda, plan, etc., etc. To me, has always seemed very far fetched because the world just doesn't work like that. The world is way, way too chaotic. But if you take into account human nature, which um, yeah, I think human nature and the appropriation of risk, if you are in a position of power where you could be held accountable for not taking the full approach to risk. Now, does this mean or does this absolve our politicians from some of the things that they've been doing or our political class? Personally, I don't think so, because I think that that's what you pay them uh, the big bucks for. Or that's um, one of the um, one of the reasons that they are in the position that they are, which is to try and make those decisions for the best of society. Or maybe I'm just being a bit too generous there and they're all just a bunch of sociopaths who never had your best interests at heart anyway. Well, you decide. But I think that that's become undone. Um, There are some rather disturbing dots I've been, well, maybe not quite connecting, but mulling over the last while. Let's say observing the dots and thinking about connecting them. Again, like I say and have to stress, I always consider the truth to be residing in the grey area and try to not let emotion get in the way of my internal debate. But maybe you, like me, watched the Black Mirror episode of the Facebook meta presentation and a dot appeared right there in plain view. Um, Couple that with the current climate emergency, which we are being bombarded with constantly, Um, And I know I can't be the first person to consider a few Black Mirror style dots and connect and then reconnect them in my own grey matter. And as someone who grew up reading science fiction, maybe that sort of appeals to me a little bit more. But certainly there are dots there if you look at them now, whether they can be connected or whether um, it's just me connecting them because I have the time to connect them. I don't know, but I'm sure I'm not alone in wondering a few things that are happening. Firstly, let me just say, climate is important and that there's, a, there's a discussion to be had and there is no doubt about it. Um, as I know, it's an, uh, it's an issue that makes people almost hysterical. And it's perfectly, um, how can we say, siloed in our modern understanding of many of the issues of today. Um, in that at the heart of it is a sort of very emotional truth. But we shouldn't let that get in the way of Um, being able to ask questions about 
how we say, the motives, about the ideals, about the science, about the maths, about how these things are unfolding before us um, without being called a heretic or a denier for doing so. Um, but I noticed before, and one of the few times I could be bothered really to throw something out there into my Facebook feed, an interview with the man who founded Greenpeace, who is fervently against the likes of Extinction Rebellion and the claims of um, what we can call climate catastrophists. Um, and it is, in their opinion, a catastrophe. Um, and I was called a climate denier within a few minutes. That video was 55 minutes long. So people called me that simply for posting what I thought was an interesting interview by someone questioning the narrative, which I think we should all do about every narrative, um, because otherwise then the narrative makes fools of us. But the um, use of the word denier, um, like I said, most so like most modern social movements, climate has become a religious issue, in my opinion. And even raising your hand to question any of it marks you out as a heretic. And the aligning of having a question with the word denier has really heavy portents. A denier, of course, being more commonly associated with a Holocaust denier. But it's done on purpose to shift you into that realm of judgment, something like this. Questioning the narrative makes you a heretic or at the very least making some observations. And so the mind wonders, 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 wonders and wonders. Is the pandemic on some level just a form of disaster stroke adventure capitalism for big pharma? I mean, who wouldn't think that on some level? Um, amongst, of course, many other things, not the only narrative, but an arbitrary health tax on the world to be implemented whenever um, is seen fit or whenever state tech government wants to ramp up the fear. Is it that simple? No, I don't think it is. But Certainly now, as we look at what's happening in Israel and we look at what's happening in other countries like Australia, New Zealand, um, you see talk of it in Australia or sorry, Austria and other countries in Europe. Um, are we looking at an endless cycle of boosters? Um, and as we know, have been developed daily pills and a society being formed that any opposition to being part of a biomedical health security state means you are simply frozen out of it. Now, of course, that could be just too far-fetched and of course the whole thing is just um, you know uneasily sitting on some sort of massive bureaucratic bureaucratic chaos and as I said our um, human assessment of risk and not wanting to appropriate any of it by the systems of power uh, which let's be honest are more or less broken um, again I don't subscribe fully to that opinion but I don't subscribe fully either to the opinion that it is benign so here are a few things that I find beyond odd that kind of break my brain. What I find so odd, for example, is how a few years ago, the same people, let's say, on the left, even though I don't necessarily agree with terms like left and right so much anymore because they're kind of sitting on their head many times. It's that horseshoe effect where sometimes the, the furthest reaches of every argument bend around. They almost touch each other at the other and think of the shape of a horseshoe. And I just wonder, are they really helpful anymore? But for the purposes of this podcast, let's just say that. Um, and people on the left who still do discuss healthcare for all, healthcare for all, Obamacare for all, etc., etc., which I do agree with. Um, I do agree that healthcare is a form of human right. Um, and I disagree with, you know, the way, for example, things are or would seem to be in the US. Anyway. 
Some of those people are now openly calling for the unvaccinated to be locked down, as we see is happening in Austria, or to be um, to not be allowed treatment in hospitals. How can this be consistent? As we all know that a disproportionate, disproportionate amount of those who remain unvaccinated will be the most marginalised or poor in society. Surely the people that the left or the new left, whatever you want to call them, purports to want to help. So how does that make sense? Often I said to people, big pharma caused the opioid crisis or at least rewarded, um, you know, d- uh, rewarded doctors or rewarded people for prescribing opioids. And more people die from this crisis than any other killer in North America. According to a documentary I watched the other day, um, what reason did most people end up taking these pills? Uh, was it because hospital treatment was too expensive because of their healthcare system? Which brings me back to the same argument. And now the same people are placing their trust in the same companies. And doesn't that well seem like a massive cognitive dissonance? And somehow me asking questions about that makes me anti something or anti this. I'm not anti any of these things. I do believe that healthcare is a human right in the, let's call it, I suppose, the Bismarckian tradition or something like this. Um, I don't believe that there should be a two tier health system for the haves and the have nots. And my feelings on that are very old school left in that sense. But yet I see people on, you know, uh, people online screaming about how the unvaccinated shouldn't be allowed treatment in hospitals. Think about the cognitive dissonance that allows that to be um, your argument. Very strange to me. It surely makes me a more rational human being, does it? I don't know. And given the track record of the last, well, no doubt, of many of your lifetimes, institutions of power and state and pharma on all of the recalls, on all of the things that traditionally um, people would have held them accountable for, I find this quite incredible. Anecdotally, I can see in my own country, there were 75,000 or 74, according to the newspapers on the waiting list to have every illness, to have... Let me just say that again. There were 74 or 75,000 people on the waiting list um, to have illnesses and ailments seen to. Now, speaking to a friend close to the hospital system, um, he says, sure, things are stressed out right now. But mainly, it seems it's the ticking time bomb of illnesses and sicknesses that were waiting in the shadow of this system that were held at arm's length from being treated, uh, where people are now told, if you go private, you get seen to. If you don't, well, you don't. You wait for a long time. So what choice does that give people? I have a friend who wants a knee operation already waiting over two years, told go private at a huge cost, done in, done in under a few months. If not, well, who knows? And no one wants to see patients who've been held at arm's length because of the pandemic. And so are we in reality creating a two-tier um, health model system that is very similar to what our objectively I view from the outside as happens in America? You got the spondulix, you got the dollar, you get treated. If not, you don't. And who benefits from that? Let's be clear, big pharma. And so vaccine mandates will be held up as keys to some form of freedom. Do I think it's some huge top-down conspiracy or plot? No, I don't. I've said that many times before you feel that I have. It is, once again, I think many things unfolding at the same time. But here we are. Health officials talking about cancelling Christmas and locking people down again over non-compliance. And how did the West end up in this soft authoritarian state? That's kind of what breaks my brain even more. I mean, I talked about the implications of this in the very first 
few podcasts as it became clear to me this ain't going anywhere my friends um how considering the you know the history of the last 100 120 years the wars fought on the soil of Europe for freedom for liberty for all of those things against um elements of authoritarianism the you know whether it's eastern europe liberating itself after the fall of the berlin wall and yet now we would appear to be quite willingly um, ready to accept a biomedical form of soft authoritarianism. I don't know. That kind of breaks my brain. My criticism of the media, was I right about that? Do things come top down or do people writing self-censor? Certainly journalism has changed, I think. Um, the internet killed the printed word and as journalism became almost impossible to make a living off, that income was supplemented with, in many cases, activism or many, many, many other forms of, um, you know, online uh, blogging or whatever else. And as the old adage is, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. I mean, let's be clear. Um, let's be clear that, about something that um, if it bleeds, it leads. This is as old as time in relation to the media. And bad news sells, good news doesn't. And certainly in a world where clicks mean advertisement and reach and the difference between paying the bills or not for the people uh, involved in um, getting those clicks. Of course, disaster, all the isms, all the phobias, they get eyeballs on the issues. So media outlets play to their audience, knowing full well, in my opinion, they've lost a huge part of it to non-traditional media. Certainly, I know that once upon a time, I read all the papers in my parents' um, house back to back every weekend. When is the last time I even picked up a paper? I mean, I do it most days to look at the headline, maybe in the local news agent, but I couldn't tell you when I read one from cover to cover. So they are in a strange place. They, um, they've now become part of what I consider to be some sort of psychodrama, some kind of theatre, appealing to their particular audience. They know fear sells. And are they really doing the state's bidding? I mean, today, for example, with the new restrictions in Ireland, um, all the papers were, you know, the covers were about um, the, you know, the fatal fourth wave and um, the overwhelming, da -da -da, like just an endless slew of dark rhetoric. Not one did I say, not one did I see which was questioning the motives of the government. And that was traditionally what journalism once was, at least in my opinion, holding power to account. Um, and I think that that's changed because I think the people, many of the people writing want to be in the tent pissing out and not outside the tent pissing in, so to speak. Um, they, you know, are they really doing the state's bidding? I mean, we saw clearly the lack of coverage of any of the protests. Um, and that was a very clear example. Um, the constant ramping up of case number derangement, we could call it like this. But clearly, I think very, very clearly, um, you could see this exemplified in the lack of coverage of any protests and also covering protests um, online might meant some form of censorship. I mean, look, Trump kind of broke so many people's brains. Um, so I think part of what happened is that any any position that could be remotely aligned with anything he said or what could be shoehorned into what we might call a Trumpian position, which then became far right, which became supremacy, which became blah, 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 blah. So simply questioning the motives of Big Pharma became associated with the far right. Now think about that. And that, and then we have the, some people um, on the left, you can see online, defending huge multinationals. And I mean, how on earth did that happen? As I keep referring to, the Occupy movement in 08 rightly identified all of these people as the enemy. Now many um, of those elements have been co-opted by or bought off by those 
many multinationals themselves. Um, I don't know, crazy. Somebody asked me, was I a secret Marxist? Certainly Marx would have been turning in his grave at the defense of huge, huge multinationals made by people who claimed to be influenced by him. Um, and it just became part of the theater, partly performative. And so let me kind of like spin back around, pivot to mo for a moment to the to the to, to climate. I mean, is the pandemic lockdown really prep for the climate lockdown? Ah, Alan, come on, come on with the bad news. Come on, you can't be really saying that. Hey, just asking a question, just asking a question, right? But let's be clear about something. You know who wasn't at the recent GOP summit? China, China. Sorry for the impersonation. Um, just let that sink in for a moment. And that says to me all you need to know. And so, so, and so through some weird prism of post-colonial guilt, your average person in, let's say, the UK or Ireland, um, although we have, I think, no real colonial guilt to speak of, um, we're being asked to shoulder, I think, um, I suppose, not asked to shoulder, but the suggestion is there, the moral suggestion that the proportion of guilt for climate as, let's say, we often hear people involved in the climate debate infer that all those who somehow benefited from the Industrial Revolution in the in the West, which I may add was almost 200 years ago, are now the people who are going to have to shoulder it would seem morally, um, emotionally, the, um, the burden of restriction on their freedoms. So let's be clear what you, well, let's be kind of clear what you or I do, if you or I are, let's say what we do, Right. I mean, obviously, we have to set an example. I'm not saying anybody should not be concerned with climate. Of course, they should. It's a very serious issue. But let's just say, for example, um, as a as a as lone citizen in Sweden or Finland, what you do in relation to these things matters considerably less than the output of a Chinese concrete factory or development in the second world. Now, that's a complicated question and pretty difficult to find an answer to. But... Is this perhaps how it will be sold to you? Stay inside to save the world. I mean, yeah, of course, it sounds like a plot of a Black Mirror episode, right? But, but, hear me out as I play the devil's advocate again and poke the bear. If you examine really what the meta Facebook world is suggesting, or rather, maybe laying claim to the right to enforce, um, and I don't know if any of you saw that um, Facebook meta metaverse presentation I mean this was straight out of the Black Mirror playbook um, but what it was suggesting is that the future is unavoidably going to be people absorbing that people absorbing the reality that they live or will live to a large proportion um, indoors I mean to me this sounds like in fresh hell atrophying indoors with headsets on or maybe retina screens living in the meta world um, already, we know people are already buying online real estate. And this will be fundamentally a big tech controlled world where business meetings will happen. Trade will be done. And isn't lockdown and staying indoors a kind of good little dry run for this sort of dystopia? You can't tell me it isn't. And especially for younger people who will grow up attuned to all of these new technologies. I'm 46. I'm not exactly the demo age. But is that somehow somewhere... The idea, lockdown living, consume from within your house, live out your life as your own avatar. I mean, look, it's got to be better than um, the grim assessment of the outside real world, which is full of restrictions and fears. And um, we will keep you safe from that fearful outside world. Um, you would be better off living out your life as your avatar. Um, and look, yeah, yeah, I know I'm being devil's advocate here. 
but but no one can tell me that this weird move from Facebook to change their name to Meta hasn't got some element of truth within that projection that they are um I suppose it's a punt it's a it's a it's a risk it's a move but it's a move to try and control whatever future that may be um and I mean if that's this strange dystopian future, you've got to ask yourself who's going to have kids within that. Hey, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm playing the devil's advocate here and I'm being pessimistic and we could say hyperbolic and a bit over the top. And yes, of course, that's true. That's part of the podcast. The name is Agitators Anonymous, but I'm not the only one seeing these connections as tenuous as they may be to some people. Um, And um, in a world of incompetent chaos, I readily admit that it's not so easy to draw the connections between the dots, but there are, the dots are there if you see them. Um, and I have said many times, I think the world is simply too chaotic and all over the place for some kind of top-down decree. But you know what? Here we are. No one can tell me that the liberties and freedoms taken from people are going to be returned as they were handed over. Too much power and wealth has now been centralised. And yet the same people who claim to champion the working class stood by while their small and medium-sized businesses got shut down. The pyjama party. Um, luxury hermits, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> whatever vaguely offensive term there is. But pe- what I mean by that is people who can work from home, work in their pyjamas. And this is the most telling thing for me because I think it's a class issue. And I think class is still one of the most important things that there is in modern society. I think so. Um, the online class, the tech people, those who could work in their pyjamas scoffed and mocked people who wanted to go out to work, learn to code or whatever else, right? Create a new business online. Who cares if your family business of 40, 50 years went up in smoke? Do you want your grandmother to die? Screamed the pyjama people because it suited them. Um, Lockdown wasn't that far removed from the lives that they were living anyway. And um, they seem to be the ones shouting for more restrictions, for lockdown to keep on rolling. And there is definitely a battle going on between those of us who want to live, uh, to be left alone by state and tech and institutions of power and governance, to not have them involved in every aspect of life and rule over it um, and create this sort of huge um, biotech state which has its fingers um, in every orifice of your life, so to speak, although that might sound appealing to some of you. Um, And this idea that somehow out of that would be created a world without risk, without sickness, without threat, And, you know, the people saying that are, in fact, the people who are, I think, posing the greatest threat, as in the institutions of power, tech and governance. And, you know, that world might be coming. The meta world might simply be the world for those people. Um, The neurotic amongst us jumped and we all had to follow. Um, Fear dethroned freedom of speech and dissent became a dirty word. And how easily politicians who claim to have stood for something changed with the wind changed with whatever they thought public opinion would be. And maybe the simple truth is that many people simply want authoritarianism. It's easy to not worry about what's for dinner when you only have one thing on the menu, right? Yeah, okay, that's a pretty simplistic way of looking at things. But maybe this meta world is is the world that, um, you know, the correct place for people who want to try and have a life without risk. I mean, we can connect another dot to all of the, how should we say, um, hugely funded institutions that are attempting to regenerate cells and defeat death. 
if you connect those dots, then it presents a rather strange dystopian Black Mirror future, which thankfully I may not live long enough to see. Well, although who knows? Um, but right now, that would appear to be the world. Um, some of the some element of the world that some people want in the here and now. The be kind mantra would really seem to mean be kind and hand over your liberty and freedoms. And please stop shouting about it. Don't make a fuss. Um, personally, I would rather take my chances out there in the real world, take some risks and do some living. As to me, liberty is the most important word in the English language. And I think you may ask all the people who died fighting for it what they think of that. And all the people who attempt to flee, who attempt to flee countries um, which live under the yoke of genuine tyranny, they might have a clearer understanding of the kind of um, authoritarian measures that are being ushered in under our nose. Or maybe I could just be wrong. And in six months, it's all fine. I've just been daft and hyperbolic and over the top and a bit, you know, agitated. But isn't that the name of the podcast? My friends, that is episode 83. Planet Satan over and out. If you wish to go over to my Patreon, if you got this far, well, good for you. Um, but if you want to go to my Patreon, you will hear other podcasts, various songs, rehearsals, and all sorts of other stuff I'm creating for as little as a dollar a month or a euro a month or whatever other currency you are permitted to use right now. All right, that will be it. Agitators Anonymous.